My name is James Callis. I play Dr. Gaius Baltar on Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to Galactical Quorum. Do you trust Cylons or don't you? My red pen is all over this one for sloppy plotting and cheesy dialogue. I almost forgot all about the six Cylons. Thanks for reminding me. Hello, and welcome to the Galactica Quorum. This is episode number 60. It's a fracking podcast. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. We have a website called galacticacorum.com and an email that's gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And we have a new voicemail number just in time for the new season. That is 301-358-5175. We also have forums on our website and a Facebook page. And you can follow us on Twitter where our name is Galactica Quorum. On this edition of our podcast, we have a town hall set up. I'm happy to have along some of our previous participants and also a new person. So why don't you introduce yourselves? Uh, Brian, I, I really don't know what you want me to say here, except to say that my name is Byrne, and um, I watch Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm Dimitri. I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland. I am one of four of the Galactica Quorum. And my name is Bill. I'm from West Haven, Connecticut. I'm a high school teacher, and I'm a longtime listener of the Galactica Quorum. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. The first bit of news I do have is that I am going to the prop auction that's January 16, 17, and 18 in Los Angeles. I'm going. Michelle is also going. Friday is a preview day at the Pasadena Convention Center, and there's going to be some panel discussions with some of the artistic people involved with the show, the art director, prop, and set decorators and designers. Saturday and Sunday, which is the dates of the auction, most of that will be televised via the web. So... You'll be able to see a lot of the pieces going up for auction. I think it's just going to be really interesting, even if you're not going to bid on something, just to have a chance to see some of the process and see some of what they're putting up online. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their PDF of the catalog that they have, because it is just chock full of stuff. I mean, it's just a really awesome collection. So let's go ahead and talk about the webisodes, which just concluded. In our last podcast, we discussed up to episode number eight. What we'll do now is talk about parts nine and ten. In part nine, the sweet eight, who is not sweet, comes clean about what she's been doing. We then see a flashback and a meaningful one this time, not one that's just sort of gratuitous to take up time. And the payoff of which is that we learn just what Baltar said that caused Gaeta to stab him with a pen. And we also get something of the motive for what she did both on New Caprica and on the Raptor. And then in part 10, we open with 8 being dead because Geta stabbed her. And Hoshi's raptor finds Geta with less than 20 minutes to spare. And then he's back on Galactica. And after recovery, he goes to see Tai and he requests to speak with Adama. We learn a few things, which I will bring up in a second when we discuss the uh, overall webisodes. That's kind of how it ends. So, Dimitri, what were your thoughts of the webisodes Overall, since we haven't heard from you for the first eight parts and the conclusion, what did you think? I thought there was just filler. I thought it was just like a tease to get our palettes all, you know, wet for the show next week. I don't think it necessarily added or took away because everybody who died was just like a, I don't know. I wasn't like wowed by it. All it did was 
just set up the fact that you can't trust a Cylon. I already knew that. Just because they want to have this sort of alliance doesn't mean they're all of a sudden your friend. You know, it's an alliance of convenience. So I didn't really go home with too much from it. Okay. Burn? I had a very different experience, and perhaps because um, I really have been depriving myself from Battlestar for the past, I don't know how long it's been, 10 months or whatever it is. So I certainly appreciate the kind of perspective of it being just kind of filler and meaningless. And to some extent, at least early on, it seemed predictable. I had a much different experience and then I kind of really enjoyed it. The only thing that I found so extraordinarily annoying until, Brian, you told me to watch this on YouTube, was having to watch the um, Underworld um, <laughs> Rise of the Lycans trailer on sci-fi.com about a million times and there was no way to stop it. I was about to just absolutely shoot myself with a silver bullet. Um, that I found the most annoying part of the whole process. But I actually found that it was just a huge lead up to the end. I found that the scene with Baltar, I mean, it seemed like such a great use, finally, of a webisode to actually bring added meaning to something we had already seen. You know, you hear in, like, Ron Moore podcasts all of the storylines that they end up leaving on the cutting room floor, that they had to increase tension on some other dramatic arc, so they had to cut something else to make room for it. But, you know, there were a couple of those storylines that they clearly had scripted out and had a background for, but had never really followed through on. You know, just as you pointed out, the scene with Baltar and Gaeta, where Gaeta flips out and stabs him, like, that is something that is just hanging out there that I'm just glad they had a chance to revisit. But at the end of the day, I found it interesting that the whole webisode series on a cliffhanger, which kind of defies the whole point of the webisode. I got into the webisode thinking, oh, this is just some a side story or side adventure you know, we can all partake on and enjoy, and but it doesn't really fit into the main story arc. But So now there's clearly something going on with Gaeta. He's planning something. Something is up. I'm just now curious, how are they going to weave this into the main story in the main series? Because they can certainly ignore it, but they have to build that tension with Gaeta independently of this webisode. Because Gaeta is going to do something. We just don't know what it is. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat as Dimitri to a large degree. I, I, I wasn't really blown away. I thought they were pretty well done, but I wasn't buying the whole murder mystery aspect. I just didn't buy the stripping the insulation off a set of pliers as an effective way to kill somebody. So right from the, you know, the moment that I saw that, I wasn't exactly sure how they would jump instantly to the conclusion that someone had been murdered, not that someone had just used an old pair of pliers and it just wasn't, wasn't an accident. I didn't think the flashbacks to the stuff on New Caprica between eight and Gaeta were that effective. I wasn't exactly sure of the point they were trying to make, but I did, I, you know, but like Byrne, I did kind of like the flashback to the scene between Gaeta and Baltar, you know, when Baltar was in prison. I thought there was some light shed on that uh, relationship and specifically why Gaeta tried to lie to the stand about Baltar and try to make him look worse than he even was during his trial. So I kind of like what they did with his character. And as far as what it's doing for the final 10 episodes, it definitely seemed like they're setting up for creating an expectation that this alliance between the humans and the Cylons really isn't to be trusted. And yet that seems like we're going to step backwards. I think that, you know, the show has gotten to the point where even the Cylons are being seen as individuals now. They're not, it's not just a, a you know, a racial divide or a species divide or whatever we can call it, but they're, they're actually being seen as people now. And it seems, it seems like a step backwards for Gator to say, well, I can't trust you to tie because, you know, ties a Cylon. So overall, I kind of mixed reactions. I really agree with you on that last point, And that's something I'll bring up a little bit later when we talk about how we see the last 10 episodes unfolding. 
but I'll get back to that in a second. But just to hit on some of the main points to the last two episodes here. I'm going to cut you off because um, I, I have a feeling that the hater in you, Brian, is, is going to bring this up. And I want to beat you the punch because the, the one thing that I really could not stand to bear in the resolution of the whole webisode series is that there's Gaeta. He uh, is found alone with blood all over uh-huh. him with three other people who were obviously murdered. And there's no inquiry. There's no suspicion. There's no at all suspension of all I can say is that if I was the sergeant at arms and, you know, some guy who uh, was on a derelict spacecraft and floating in the middle of uh, space is found with three other murdered people and he's the lone survivor and he has blood all over him. I would think, dude, this guy just killed like four people. So that part of it seemed a little far-fetched, that he was just like, up oh, on a gurney, holding his boyfriend's hand, and then back on duty. Like, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, this show has a lot of problems with debriefing people. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. You would think they would have some sort of thing where they would say, what happened? And, oh, that's really troubling. What would have made the Cylon do that? And it would have come out that maybe this little alliance we have isn't as secure as we thought it would be instead of it just being like this one man crusade who suddenly thinks he's the one guy who knows that he sees the truth of it all you know no inquiry no like i mean two soldiers are dead and there's like well whatever you know you spent some time in space by yourself a whole total of like 20 hours less than a day you must be traumatized we will spare you the you know the inquiry and the debriefing that seems a little strange that didn't work for me either. And when Ty said that, well, you know, since the last survivors are human, that Adama wasn't that inclined to press the issue, but three of the people who were killed uh, were human beings, you know, and like only two of them were Cylons. So he, he, even the math doesn't add up at that point. Now, some of the questions we had was, what is the motive that Eight had for killing the people, doing the, the whole ruse on New Caprica? Did you feel that was resolved well enough? No, um, I, I don't. And I think if I had seen this in the first season, I would have been totally have been wrapped up into a conspiracy theory trying to think of how every action Cylon takes has meaning and has purpose and was kind of predetermined and predestined and is all part of a larger plan, which is something that I think the series has either cleverly or unfortunately veered away from. This idea that the Cylons have a plan. Like it was, it was such a kind of a core motif of the early part of the series. And it kind of colored every action that a Cylon was involved in. Like with the early things with the Laoban. It's like, can you believe them? Like, can you believe anything they say? Everything was just cast and uh, created so much suspicion around everything. And you didn't know if they were involved in a grand plot to manipulate humans to perform some of their action. So, could this have been just one huge setup for Gaeta to perform whatever feat or action he's clearly gearing up to do? I don't know. But it's certainly not resolved, and it doesn't relate enough to that old kind of feeling of that this is part of some grand plan. It's just, again, just like one more kind of unresolved kind of part of the story that we'll never, we'll never get closure on because the person's dead. One thing I was not sure about was her motivations on New Caprica. Of the two things that I felt that they need to explain, they actually kind of explained that one to me a little bit about how she had a line where she said, 
her motive was you kill when you have to, you kill the ones your enemy values. And so that was her whole mission with New Caprica was to take the list of the people that they really wanted and remove them. I still think it's kind of a lot of work since, again, they have a very small number of people anyway, and they already have a bunch of people in jail. It's a kind of extreme measures to me that they were going out of their way to even find even further ways of putting their boot down. But I can see, I guess, the motivation for that mission that she had. Now, the motivation for her to kill everybody <laughs> on the ship, I don't get that either. And they even threw in a line where in between her little monologue there, they had Gaeta say, why didn't you just kill us all when you knew we were lost? And she said she's not a monster and she does things when probabilities dictate it. But again, she did it so fast. I don't see the point really of the actions that she took, especially leaving him as the last, or was it he just the last one just because of circumstance? Would he have been the first one if she had the opportunity? The only thing I can think of is that her motive is to push him to the edge, that he is the pawn in this scenario, and that well, her actions are all, are all motivated to push him to the edge. Does she have some kind of affection for him, though? I mean, did she, was she hoping that the, the two of them would be the last survivors and that they could somehow... Everybody else think, out of the way. I think I think she was just playing him. I'm not exactly sure what's going on in the ship with her, but the Caprica thing made, makes no the whole thing didn't make any sense to me because he was writing a list of the people he hasn't seen in a long time. So clearly he was making a list of people who have already been arrested, and he was making a, a list of his friends. Right? People's friends necessarily are a value. They're just a you know value to you personally, but it's not necessarily a value to the the human movement. They weren't necessarily high up ranking people or anything. So I I didn't like that whole list thing. It made made no sense. I mean, if they're already captured, then killing them didn't make any sense because you're not going to, you can't interrogate a dead person. Not very well, you know. I mean, you can try, but they won't tell you anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my point. I wasn't too sure how well they made the link between that list being important to the resistance and not being, I, I still find it very tenuous, the link they have. But I guess that's what they're going with because that is what makes Gaeta think that he was a traitor to his people and that's what makes him snap at Baltar. And I guess the other thing that Byrne brings up is how much do you really believe that it was set up as a plan, especially by the eight? Because Jason had a thing where at the beginning of this webisode series, he thought the whole thing was a setup, right down to the crew having a false alarm where they had to jump and someone set the coordinate wrong. And I don't think it was to that extreme. I thought it was just a fluke that they jumped too far and the eight just happened to be with him and she took advantage of the situation and started messing with his mind. I don't think it was like some overall grand scheme that the sounds have hatched. You know, it just seems so uh, <laughs> impossible or improbable for that to have happened. But it would have yeah. a lot to manipulate it all at once, that's for sure. I honestly thought it was going to end up being some kind of oxygen deprivation fever dream. They were going to find out in the last episode that half of them had died from uh, you know, from the toxic air and that Gator was the only survivor and he had hallucinated the entire thing. I didn't think it had that air of unreality to it. You know, they fall asleep and boom, they wake up, someone's dead. You know, someone's dying because he touched uninsulated pliers. I really thought the whole thing was going to be a, not a dream exactly, but a, a hallucination on somebody's part. One thing I wish they had done, and they probably didn't have a lot of time or budget to do it, but you bring up a good point about the lack of oxygen and hallucinatory kind of effects. Is In the episode where Callie died, that was a good episode where just the direction and the camera, it was very trippy. And yeah. I feel like this one didn't really convey too well what they were going through in terms of oxygen becoming poor. 
That would have been nice if they had done that more. Actually, it would have been a good uh, is from from webisode to webisode. Let's say at the beginning of the webisode, the camera movement is very clear. But as we get down to like six, seven, eight, the camera starts to blur a little bit, and you know people move their heads and it's a little like fade stream, you know that kind of thing. That would have been cool. Or even in, in hindsight's twenty twenty here, but even if this kind of whole theme that was played on around how hope blinds you to reality and that you see what you ultimately want to see and not what is actually taking place, it would have been more interesting to actually film and have more revelation through kind of mini flashbacks or micro flashbacks to Gaeta actually witnessing the eight actually murdering uh, the pilot and co-pilot, for example, or actually seeing those things and him coming to the revelation that he actually witnessed but chose and suppressed those memories to see what ultimately he wanted to see. But I, I think the whole failing of the whole thing is that it was clearly done by interns. Yeah. <laughs> it was like written by interns, filmed by interns. Uh, the effects, I'm sure, we'll find um, were all recycled from uh, the new season and are already completed shots. So there's probably nothing original about this. One thing I found interesting was the way Baltar was shown in a flashback, and it was a scene we'd seen before, except for that one line which they allowed to be heard. But to me, it really allows us to see him differently than before. At times during season three, leading up to his trial, he almost seemed like he was raving mad. But this flashback almost gives him some credibility because he seems to have a lucidity about what was going on and a sort of an I told you so, and I was very clear about seeing what was happening. I think that takes his character to a point where we see him as not just someone who is kind of like along on the wave and just kind of oblivious to what's happening, but is going along for the ride, but actually aware and cognizant of all that's happening and a little smarter about things and perhaps we had given him credit for. I think he's easily one of the most interesting characters on the show. He's, you know, he's really complex. There's a lot going on there. And I think, yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, with that one acknowledgement that, you know, he claims that he was the one who let Gata pass all the information along, you start to realize that there's a little more depth to him and that it's so common to, for him to try to look like he's doing the right thing, but really be doing the wrong thing or something self-interested. It's not that big a jump to see him um, look like he's doing the wrong thing or, or look like he's being really selfish and self-interested and at the same time trying to make up for the things, the bad things that he's done. It's totally, I think, in character for him to, for that to be true, for him to have been completely aware all the time that Gata was working against him and to just be looking the other way and letting him get away with it. I'm kind of glad that he was. Let's talk about the last part of the webisode, which to me is really the most interesting because it leads us into the final 10 episodes. There's a lot of activity and dialogue that happens that really gives us little teasers about what we can expect. One thing we learn is that there is still an alliance. Ty says, Cylon technology keeps this fleet moving. So you can draw some sort of conclusion about what that could mean. He also announces that Mr. Tyrrell has a new idea about something, which tells us that the chief, who's no longer a chief, apparently has some sort of perhaps engineering idea about something they need to do to either the fleet or a direction that they need to take. And then what's interesting was Hoshi's reference to Adama saying, him of all people. That, to me, indicates that Adama either is going through some sort of mini-arc right now where people see him differently, or at least Geta and Hoshi are seeing him differently because of some action. If I were to speculate, given that Tai is clearly in a position of power and command, he's chosen to trust the Cylons. And there has to be division in the fleet about that. I can't imagine that there wouldn't be. 
that will tie in very nicely to, I think, where Gaeta must stand, where his conflict must lie, which is, do you trust Cylons or don't you? Do you believe that Cylons have free will? Do you believe that Cylons can choose to be good and choose to side with the humans, or are all Cylons part of a greater plot to destroy humanity? So there has to be that side of the fleet that just is simply no matter what the Cylons do, that you just don't trust them. They're not to be trusted. Clearly, I think Adama has kind of made his choice. He's fallen to the other side. He says, I choose to trust Cylons, and that has to be controversial. It would be cool if they would have just a couple minutes of discussion of, of, let's say, two pilots talking about this in a hallway or something or over for a beer or something. And it would be interesting to see if, like, if one's trust for a Cylon has been raised to a new level because the resurrection ship is gone. So now they're not just drones that can then come back, even though they have this master plan and their machines and whatever. They're clearly more human now because they can't, they don't have that get out of jail free card anymore. That's something maybe Adama has taken into consideration. Maybe, you know, after World War II, we signed an agreement with Japan and, and we're buddy buddies. So kind of similar. Yeah, I mean, I agree, too. I think that last 10 episodes, one of the things they're going to have to deal with is prejudice and racial prejudice and racial profiling. And, you know, to some degree, I think this show has always been kind of topical. You know, you saw a lot of echoes of the war in Iraq, for example, in the occupation episodes. And I think now what we're going to see is something along the lines of people in America post 9-11 trying to like learn to not see every person from the Middle East as a terrorist. I think now the challenge for the, the people in the fleet is going to not see every Cylon as a monster or as a machine because they have got this individuality now. They're not going to be able to just replicate themselves endlessly. That little bit of um, what made them different is going to be gone. But it's going to be a hard adjustment, I think, for all the people. And I think that's going to, I would, wouldn't be surprised if that drives a lot of attention in the last 10 episodes. Yeah, I really like that allegory of can you trust your enemy? That idea, like I remember reading a lot of Stephen Ambrose about World War II, and since Dimitri, you brought it up, you know, in that book, GIs talk about ultimately how easy it was for them to identify and ultimately forgive and understand Germans because they had so much in common with Germans culturally that, you know, ultimately we're all kind of very westernized societies and cultures. Whereas I think with the Middle East, that is going to be exceptionally more difficult because we are so different. So with the Cylons, the question is, are we more alike or more different? Does the Cylons' mortality ultimately close the gap to make them more sympathetic? Or is there something else that ultimately just keeps people from trusting them? And I think that's a really interesting allegory. So how do you grade the webisode? I'm going to say B-. minus. Okay. Uh, Bill? Well, like I said, I was an English teacher for 12 years, and my red pen is all over this one for sloppy plotting and, you know, (laughs) cheesy dialogue and uh, and just unfilled plot holes, and I'm going to have to go a whole letter grade lower and go C-. minus. Okay, Burn? Wow, all right, so I'm going to give the first five or six episodes a C-, minus, and I think the final two, actually in the last five and the ramp-up to the closure... I think, make the wait worth it. And I would give that kind of a, a B. I have a teacher on the phone on joining us, so this math is going to be totally wrong. But I would give overall, I would have to kind of give it a B minus, I think. I'm with Dimitri on that. Yeah, I struggle too because the murder mystery just didn't do it for me. But for me, it accomplished the goal of what a promotional device 
is supposed to do. It's set up the season, especially the tidbits from the last episode. There's little tiny nuggets that inform us of a few things about the thing about silent technology keeping the fleet moving. They're still an alliance. You know, it's enough to make me satisfied that I watched it. I didn't care about the story so much. So it's a C plus, I guess. But if this had been a 44 minute television episode, it'd be definitely like a C minus or maybe even a D because it just had storytelling devices that I despise. (laughs) And it would have been one of those episodes where you remembered it as being 90% unimportant, except for the 10% that ties it to the larger series arc. But Brian, the most important question is, are you going to see Rise of the Lycans? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I already have. So that covers the webisodes. So let's talk a little bit now about season five, the last 10 episodes. To start this off, I have a few voicemails that I've actually I've had sitting around for several months, and I apologize for not playing them earlier. We've either just not had the right time to play them, or we've talked about things in other shows. Dimitri will be upset that we talked about heroes for so long. And I guess you can uh, blame me for that. But uh, here are a couple calls that do relate to BSG and not some of the other shows that we have discussed. This one comes from Nick, who actually has two calls. Here's the first one. Hi, guys. My name's Nick, and I have a few ideas what's going on right now. Um, First off, I think there's a few ideas what could be going on with the actual irradiated Earth or whatever it is. I think they could be in a uh, bit of a future of Earth, like they might have had a problem with some sort of jump or carriage saw it earlier on. I mean, this has been already speculated, obviously, but I was also thinking that I hadn't heard anyone say it, but what if, and this is a big what if, the people on Earth, when the genocide, when the huge war, let's not say genocide, but the huge war of whatever irradiated the planet happened, what happens if they sprouted out more colonies? If they left Earth, a damaged Earth, um, trying to remember what the planet's name is, um, kind of looking at it almost like a new home, a new cobalt almost, and left that abandoned. Probably wrong, but I thought I'd just ask it out loud so I hadn't heard anyone say anything about what happens if they left Earth. On top of that, I'm not sure who the fifth Cylon is, and I know you guys are probably tired of actually talking about it, but I personally think Baltar's got way too much going on. I mean, head six, head Baltar, come on. There's got to be something else going on with him. And I mean, it's obvious. It's right in front of your face. He wasn't in the Galactica fleet. He wasn't actually there. They said the fifth isn't in your fleet. I'm not exactly sure, but um, just thought I'd say that. Thanks for uh, doing this, guys. Always love listening to you. And have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. What do you guys think of uh, the Earth as a launching point that things started from Earth and branched out? I actually like that. I thought about that before, too, that their people, you know, millennia ago left the planet they just landed on and went to Caprica and colonized there, and then now they're just looping it back. My only thing about that is, if that's the case, they've been gone thousands of years, and the destruction on the on that planet didn't look maybe thousands and thousands of years old. If this is truly a cycle, then on what planet was it that has all the ruins? I mean, the upper house, you know, those look Romanesque. Does it really matter what time it is reminiscent of? I mean, I like the idea of there being a cycle and that whatever happened on Earth gave rise to the next 12 colonies and the next great cycle that uh, will ultimately play out again. But what does that mean for Battlestar Galactica? What's its purpose in this new cycle? Like, does it have a role to play 
in a new cycle being born out. I know it seems too complex to try and piece together. Like I think this whole series has to be much more contained. And I think if there is a cycle, then the Battlestar Galactica's role in it has to be much more, much simpler in order for uh, a story to work around it. Is Nick saying that the people from Earth left after that destruction and then went somewhere else, or the people left Earth and then became the original 12 colonies? Interestingly enough, that's what my, my girlfriend, like I said, who's just watching season three now, was saying it just occurred to her that they're going in the wrong direction, that the people from left Earth and came to settle the 13th colony, and that's why they're seeing all the signs along the way, like the temple and the, the nebula and all that stuff. And so she thinks it's actually gone in, in the opposite direction, but what Nick seems to be saying is that he thinks they left and went somewhere else. Yeah, that's the theory I've heard is they left Earth and went in reverse direction and started to populate uh, the original 12. But I actually like the other idea better because I just like the idea of them spawning off into a new direction and not, yeah. ne- not necessarily making 12 more colonies. It could be five, it could be six or whatever, but just that knowing that there's a new branch out there. I like the idea of the cyclical thing where Earth went back and they started over. And it's one of those, you have the idea and you like it. But then, like you say, so many people independently (laughs) have had this idea in a way it's too conventional now because Mm. uh, too many of us have had that intuition that, oh, it could be this. And I don't know if they're going to go that direction now. There's that scene at the in the very end of the miniseries, Adama parrots that line from the original show, you know, the one that... uh, they used to read over the credits that where, where he says life here began out there. You know, only Adama says that, you know, at the end when he's addressing the, the survivors on the, at the funeral, all the people who died during the, you know, the initial battle. And that would kind of make sense because he says, you know, life here began out there, but then they seem to behave as though that's not true. Like, you know, life began right where they are on the 12 colonies and then spread outwards, although their scripture tells them exactly the opposite. The one thing that makes me wonder that if that could be true is there's been some vague hints from Ron Moore about how because their civilization is so much like ours, and I make jokes all the time about names of certain items, like the rickshaw thing. I always bring this up every couple episodes, but he says that there is some sort of reason for a connection of the fact that they wear ties. And it's not just because, and obviously it's like, it's a TV device because we're used to seeing actors and characters like us. But beyond that, he says that there's some kind of connection. And I do wonder if it is because there is uh, an Earth direct link. So that would be interesting to see how they do answer that. That's one of the big questions we need to see resolved. Yeah. They have so much to resolve in 10 episodes. They have to resolve everything in 10 times 40 minutes. I don't think they're going to resolve everything. A, I don't think it's going to have a happy ending. And B, I don't think it's going to answer all the questions. And it's going to piss a lot of people off. But that's, I think, going to be the whole point. Well, if the final episode is indeed written as a three-hour final episode, then it is going to go out with quite a bit. Nick also brought up Baltar as his theory for the Fifth Cylon. We'll cover Fifth Cylon in just a little bit. Uh, So I don't want to talk about that right now. But I do want to play Nick's second voicemail. I almost forgot all about the fifth Cylon. <laughs> Thanks uh, for reminding me. Uh, I'm sorry I did. All right, here's his next voicemail. Hi, Nick again. I forgot the one thing I actually wrote down that I wanted to say. Was anyone else a little vexed and or slightly let down by how they only needed to jump one time? I mean, it might have been like months in the future or whatever, but it just felt really odd that they just jumped one time. And I kind of always pictured the Cylon jump engines weren't as powerful as the uh, Galactica fleets. 
Oh, and on top of that, since Rosalind's not dead, wouldn't that be an indicator that they weren't there yet or at the end of their destination? Yep. Now that'll conclude it, and I will be listening to you guys later on. Thanks again, and have a good one. Bye, guys. All I have to say is that if time travel factors into the story at all, I will be so insanely disappointed. It seems like the biggest Star Trek cop-out. It's like tired, exhausted writers who have no more ideas come up with time travel to explain anything. I just really hope that whatever answers are provided, they're just a slightly more elegant than time travel. They've done a really nice job of staying away from a lot of that cliched science fiction stuff, laser guns and transporters. and Yeah. Yeah, it would be a shame to see them go that way. Well, the one pitfall that they might have to address that in is with Starbucks Return, because I don't, yes. I, I don't see how they're going to logically explain how someone whose ship blew into pieces comes back with a pristine vehicle and is completely healthy. Again, another question that we need to have resolved. Just hey, to, Brian. Yeah. Since you live so close to me, I'll bet you five bucks that from now until the end of the series, they're not even going to mention her coming back at all. They're not even going to touch on it. It never happened. Oh, I'll take that bet. All right. I'll take it. Wait, wait, wait. What, Dimitri, what's on the line? You just can't just put bucks. that out there. I don't think that the show is going to delve into Starbuck coming out of the past in a brand new Viper. I, I just don't think they're going to spend any time. You don't think they're going to explain it at all? No, because they would have done that when they were still in space. They're not going to do that when now they're on the planet. There's so much more crap to think about when they're on a planet. That would be a huge hole to me that they did. I know it would be a huge hole, yeah. but it would be the first hole. I mean, there's things full of holes. It's cheese. This season has actually been a lot tighter, I think, than some of the previous ones. I, I mean, I think that everything we've seen in the first half of the season is going to hold together pretty tightly, I think. I can't see them leaving a hole that big. Getting to the planet just it, it opens up such a such a, there's so much more now there's so much more stuff it, there's a whole can of worms now it's the planet they're on the planet and it's wrecked I would like them to but I just don't think they will I think the answer to why she came back is down there I think that's one of the things they're going to discover in the, the you know the season opener when they're when they are prowling around down there on the planet Well if Either I'm wrong, wrong then Brian gets <laughs> five dollars. <laughs> Okay, I have another voicemail to play. This one comes from Jimmy. Hello, uh, my name is Jimmy Lucero. I'm really new to the uh, podcast. Uh, I started listening to it just a few uh, podcasts ago, and I really enjoyed it. On the whole discussion of the fifth Cylon, really, uh, I guess, confused that no one has at least maybe it's, I haven't heard it in the recent podcast, but the character Kendra Shaw, it was discussed at length in the uh, Razor Story meetings in the podcast, and yet I, I don't hear it just coming up as a possible identity for the Fifth Cylon and just wanted to uh, know why is it because that was just supposed to be a red herring or, or what I'd love to hear. Uh, what you guys all think about that, just to throw it out there and, and stomp on it or whatever. Uh, thanks. Bye. Kendra Shaw, for those of you who don't recall, is the XO of the Pegasus. She's from Razor, the Australian hottie that was the XO. And we talked about Razor on our podcast, I think it was episode 29, and I did bring up that I thought she could be a candidate for Final Five and... This might be a good time for us to revisit some of the prophecies that the hybrid from Razor had because it's relevant to what's going to be happening in the last 10 episodes. 
there was the cutscene where the hybrid had a prophecy, and some of these statements have come true, and we can see how close they were to... Well, I'll go ahead and read it out. So the hybrid says, The denial of the one true path played out on a world not their own will end soon enough. Soon there will be four, glorious in awakening, struggling with the knowledge of their true selves. The pain of revelation bringing new clarity in the midst of confusion, he will find her. Okay, that one, the four Cylons were activated. He will find her in the midst of confusion, to me, was Apollo finding Starbuck returned. The next line he had was, Enemies brought together by impossible longing. Enemies now joined as one. The way forward at once unthinkable, yet inevitable. We've seen that come to pass, the Alliance. Then he says, And the fifth, still in shadow, will claw toward the light, hungering for redemption that will only come in the howl of terrible suffering. And then he says, The seven, now six. And that subtraction where he says now six apparently is representing that Deanna was boxed for a short time. Although when he said that line, she wasn't. So I don't know if that's continuity or if it's just some weird thing. But anyway, the seven, now six, self-described machines who believe themselves without sin. But in time, it is sin that will consume them. That, to me, indicates their civil war that they had, destroying themselves. They will know enmity, bitterness, the wrenching agony of the one splintering into many. Again, civil war. And then they will join at the promised land, gathering on the wings of an angel. Not an end, but a beginning. Now, earth, promised land, wings of an angel, haven't seen that yet. And as far as a Starbuck prophecy goes, this is what he said about Starbuck. We'll lead the human race to its end. She's the herald of the apocalypse the harbinger of death. They must not follow her. Now, this has been parsed out any number of ways. At first, we thought that meant that Starbuck was going to be just death to humans. But then we read it almost literally, where it says, we'll lead the human race to its end. And we thought, well, maybe that's the end of her journey. And the next sentence was, she's the herald of the apocalypse, the harbinger of death. Well, that could be taken separately, that she is the harbinger of death for the Cylons. But then there's that last line, they must not follow her, which if you take all three together, then it takes on a, another meaning again. So of the hybrids prophecies, the only one that's still left really, the Starbuck line still is in question and the fifth is still in question. Well, what was the one thing he said, uh, crawling out of the shadows? The fifth still in shadow will claw toward the light, hungering for redemption that will only come in the howl of terrible suffering. So that hasn't been answered yet. Right. If you want to play the game, I mean, that could be Gata from these last 10 webisodes, right? He's got all this wicked guilt on him. Who knows if it's real, but the Cylon definitely laid it on thick. So he probably has all this guilt that, you know, he betrayed his people. And he's got blood on his hands, you know, metaphor there, uh, literally and figuratively. So Gata's the fifth Cylon. I've said it all along. Well, here's my thing about the fifth Cylon. I think one of the definitive statements that people are either overlooking on purpose or they're just letting it take a pass is when Deanna says, the fifth Cylon is not in your fleet. And they took it literally like your fleet, meaning the human fleet, or it's not in local space. Or some people were like, well, Adama was on the shuttle, so he wasn't technically in the fleet or any number of things like that. So I'm taking it broadly. I think she's saying the fifth Cylon is not in our collective fleet is not, here. is not here. And so that means, to me, one of two options. And that eliminates all kinds. Of, it eliminates Baltar. It eliminates Roslyn. It eliminates Adama. It eliminates Gaeta. And there's other reasons I would eliminate them as well, because Baltar was on the ship with Deanna, 
it seems improbable to me that she, knowing he was a final five, would not talk to him while she was there or even give him some kind of clue. It just seems totally unlikely to me. I've been a huge proponent in the past for Baltar to be a Cylon. But I think the actual tragedy of his character is that he's human. Mm-hmm. And if he turns out to be Cylon, then you lose a lot of the tragedy of, of his character, which is why I've kind of backpedaled a bit and think that it would be kind of cheap for him to be a Cylon. But I still think if I was Ron Moore, I'd want the final Cylon to be earth-shattering. I would want it to really throw a huge wrench. And if it's a character yeah. we've never met before, that seems like it would be kind of a big letdown. Yeah. Like, I, I want to really that. throw everyone for a loop. I have a question, Ryan. My timeline is off. Did Callie die before or after the resurrection ship was destroyed? Uh, before. Uh, again, it was before. It was before, was, yes. So basically, any big character from the fleet that was killed before the resurrection ship was destroyed could still be a Cylon because they could have been resurrected elsewhere. You know, they could have been resurrected on the resurrection ship and then gone somewhere else. Well, the one thing about that is, who's to say there is a resurrection ship for a Final Five? Because if there was such a ship, then you would think the rest of the Cylons would know about it. I mean, maybe they were, uh, yeah, well, maybe, maybe, well, they, no, maybe they knew about it, but they weren't supposed to talk about them. I just find it unlikely that somewhere off on its own, completely independent from the Cylons, there's been this one resurrection ship that's kind of just out there. Let's say uh, a Final Five was killed and it resurrected. How would they get back into circulation? They would walk onto the ship and they'd be like, who are you? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it wouldn't yeah, yeah. make any sense. Didn't Ron Morris say something about how the, the Final Five were fundamentally different from the other ones? That yeah, thank the same? you. Yeah. You, have, you also have to deal with the problem of Ty and he's old. And how, how has he been aging all this time? And Adamus has known him for 30 years and he's been a silent all this time. Maybe we're looking for a... I haven't got a, a clear picture in my head, but like a different version of somebody, you know, like uh, some kind of a uh, father creator. Wasn't there an episode of Star Trek like that where, you know, some guy made a bunch of copies of himself and these, these robot duplicates that, you know, served him and they called him their father creator? And maybe we're looking at something like that, like some, the, the god that they worship is actually the individual or some individual on whom they were patterned. And so maybe maybe there's a duplicate of one of the major characters out there somewhere. So we're not looking at a, a, one of the major characters being a Cylon, but we're looking at the, one of the major characters being an alternate version of somebody else. And it could be anybody. That, it could be anybody at that point. It could be somebody young. It could be, you know. If we take that Deanna statement is true, that the final one is not there, that means, to me, it falls into two camps, that the person is not with a fleet, which could mean they're dead, or some other element. And if it is a person that's dead and it is someone that's a female, because I, again, tend to think it's going to be a female just because of numbers. Uh, I still like Ellen. She fits the qualifications. In the prophecy of the the hybrid, the line about hungering for redemption that will only come in the howl of terrible suffering, when Ty kills her, that to me was just an incredible scene and the suffering that he had. But the beginning of that line where it says, still in shadow will claw toward the light, that, I don't know how that reconciles with that. I mean, do they consider that climbing toward the light that someone who is dead is speaking from the grave? Or the final five just has some as yet unknown trait or quality that we have no idea about yet that will make the last one make sense. Somewhat of what you were saying, that there's something just fundamentally different about them. And again, it's something that we probably haven't seen a clue about yet, because otherwise we might have picked up on it. 
And I have one more idea. <laughs> uh, this one, because <laughs> this is our last chance before. One more idea is that Starbuck was the fifth Cylon, but she is not now. And I say was because when she went to the Maelstrom and indeed did die, next time we see her, the one that comes out from a different cycle is a different Starbuck playing on something that Leoban has said before, where he said, in another time, we will switch roles. I will be the interrogator. You will be the prisoner. In another time, she is not the fifth. In the first instance before she dies, she was the fifth. It gets kind of metaphysical, but who knows? <laughs> she was uh, struggling towards redemption for a little while. Very she much, was, yeah. Yeah, not a person. And she was flying towards something, towards the light. Hmm. Hey, wait a minute. She was. She was flying towards the vision of her younger self. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And redemption, because she's, you know, everyone thinks she's crazy. Yeah. Dimitri, let me share with you my each of my theories for how each of the characters could be the last Cylon. <laughs> it's really how I've prepared. Never mind. So real fast, though, what is your one pick? Or do you feel like it's going to be a certain type of character, not specifically a character? I have to say, I, I don't really have any idea. I think there's, there's a lot to keep track of. There's all the, you know, the, the plot clues and the, the stuff that's gone so far. But then there's also the minds that, you know, the writers take into account. And I think Burns said it's really going to be somebody earth shattering. They want to like make a real splash with it. So you have to kind of take into account what they're going to try to do. I don't have any idea. So I guess I would go with Starbuck out of the major characters. I'll say Helen, Kai, and then Starbuck. I like that. And then if a third is needed, then I'll say Callie. But I agree also. I mean, last year I got so tired of talking about it that um, I don't care. (laughs) And I have no idea. But uh, for the sake of being controversial, I'll say Adama. And one thing I will say is I really hope that they tell us, and if not the next episode, then one of the first couple episodes, because it makes no sense to me for Deanna to keep it a secret any longer. There's no reason. They're on Earth. It's just a blasted mess. She has no reason not to tell them. The Final Five would want to know. Does it really matter who the Final Five is? The four have already they've been integrated back into the fleet. Ty's on the deck. Everybody's back into their own positions. It doesn't matter. I mean, if they were like Thundercats or something, right? Where four of them were in jail, <laughs> and then and then they found the fifth one, and then the fifth one was thrown in jail, and they were like all connected to their Wonder Twin rings or something, and then something happened from that. That would make sense, but it's back to normal. It's like, what we do, you know? It's, I'm being silly, but you know what I'm saying? Like, if there was tension around it, because there was all this tension last season about who are these final five, and then now in, this, in the webisodes, it's all back to normal. It's like, who cares? I think that's one of the, actually, one of the things I didn't like about the first half of the season. is I think a lot of that was kind of squandered, especially in that last episode that was so rushed, because you really saw those four characters kind of deal with that revelation in really different ways. And, you know, you had Ty, who said a couple times he was going to remain the man he always was. And then you had Anders and Tyrrell, who were very, like, nervous and unsure of themselves. And then you had Tori, who really, after she murdered Callie, completely embraced it. I mean, she, I thought, was really getting off on the idea of being powerful and being something special, and, and she seemed to really revel in that a little bit. I kind of hope that they're not going to throw all that tension they've built up away. I think it would really be interesting to see how those four characters really handle this situation in different ways, even you know going into the last ten episodes. And I definitely hope they don't just kind of pop Tori back into the, all right, well, you know, it's all it's fine now. We're all friends again. You go ahead and be a Cylon, and we still like you, Vox. Because I think she has a lot to answer for. I don't think her character is going back into her shell. 
I clearly have gotten jaded in the last 10 months. Uh, we definitely overdosed on the Final Five theory, and I waited months and months to bring it up again. And I'm done again. And uh, until they bring it up again, <laughs> I will be happy not to bring it up one more time. But I do think that they should just get it out. I agree they should wrap that one up early on. Because there should be more to the end game, And let's talk about that now, is what in the last 10 episodes can or should we expect? They found Earth. At this point, I am pretty much of the opinion that they're not fooling around. It is indeed Earth. It's not just some other planet that they somehow read the wrong road sign. They got there and it was you know, a fake Earth. It's, it's Earth. Where are they going to go from there? And what happens to the fleet, to the Cylon Alliance? Anybody have any general thoughts about the direction you think it might take or what you'd like to see? Well, I think the alliance they have with the Cylons is going to break apart at some place. They'll have some sort of like war. I think by the end, they'll come back together. And then at the same time, I think that some people are going to stay and some people are going to go. Just like on New Caprica, some people were on Caprica and the Galactica left. That's what I think. Uh, you know, I'm really not sure. I, I'm really interested to see what happens on Earth and what they find there and what the situation is. Beyond that, I really don't know. I think that there's been some hints from the actors that things end badly and it's not a happy ending. And so I don't think we're looking towards like a real neat and tidy resolution, but I think that's where the tension is going to come from is, um, with Demetri. I think definitely that alliance, which is kind of tenuous at best, and I think there's going to be some fractures appearing there. To be really macabre, I think I think everyone is going to die, <laughs> except perhaps one representative from each model. Meaning Tyrrell's going to survive, Ty is going to survive, Tori, Deanna, Six, so on and so forth. One of each, so you have some kind of continuation of the mythology, like they're the custodians of the prophecy, but that humanity as we know it will have sacrificed itself. And so will the Cylons have sacrificed themselves either in war or in some great act of altruism. I think humanity in this show is going to die, except for the 12 or 13. Is it the 13? 12? 12. What about Hera? She might be the 13th. She might be the glue. Something has to heal the rift. There has to be redemption. I think Hera, we haven't mentioned her in a long time, but I think Hera plays a big role because that was a big part of the story arc in, I think, season three, finding that child. I can't see them just dropping that. I think Tyrrell's kid, Nikki, will also have some sort of effect. And I almost forgot about this, but I also predicted that Boomer will be pregnant with Cavill's child. I think that will come up as well. Just the fact that the next generation of these hybrids will play some kind of role. Yeah, maybe they're all that's left in the end. The shape of things to come. The two children, it's a boy and a girl, right? Right. Adam, Adam and Eve. Now, the show can go anywhere, and so I have no idea what the writers will do. There's something I hope that they don't do. What I hope doesn't happen is that since Earth turned out to be crappy, I hope that characters don't become all bitter, and there's fighting with each other like there was in Season 2, when all the people hated each other, and there's just general bad vibes all around. I understand that We've been told from the actors that things don't end up happy and there's probably a lot of death or just bad endings for a lot of characters. And that's fine. But I just don't want to see a bunch of rifts that occur just for no other reason than there's people are unhappy with their situation. And I think there should be some other device that gets the characters to a crisis point besides just everyone getting unhappy that they're all stuck in the same tin cans again. 
basically, if it's a 10-episode pity party, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> but why I have hope that that won't happen is because Ron Morris said that the story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and Finding the Earth was supposedly going to be the end, but they threw us a curveball. So I can't believe that the last 10 episodes will just be like an extended, depressing epilogue. Like we said, there's still many mysteries to solve. There's not just the fifth Cylon, but the whole cycle concept, the hybrid child, what's the true role of the final five, what role Starbuck plays, although me and Dimitri now have a bet that that will not be resolved or will be resolved, the fate of the Earth's colony. One character we haven't brought up is Richard Hatch and his character, Tom Zarek. Oddly enough, I think he's going to have some kind of role in one of the major pivotal points of the show. I don't know what it is, but I just have a feeling that somehow he will. And finally, I do think that all this is going to tie back into the miniseries. They've somewhat mentioned that when Ron Moore was writing the, the finale, that he went back and there are a lot of things that tie back into the miniseries. But not just story-wise, with like little clues from scenes that we've seen a hundred times, but remember that the miniseries came about post 9-11 and that emotionally and allegorically that miniseries linked us to that event. And I think they're going to revisit that. I think that wasn't just something that served as a seed of the show. I think in the end, they're going to come back to those themes and remind us quite pointedly that just what happened and what it meant. Bill, you mentioned something kind of similar to that when we first started this discussion in terms of what they've done with Iraq allegorical oh, yeah, examples yeah. to that but again i think it's going to actually even go back to the very beginning to the destruction of the colonies and it might just even be in this first couple episodes when they see shattered earth i think what they'd like to do is just remind everybody that this happened so anything any other final comments yes we had this 10 month hiatus and i've i was kind of like feeling poo-poo about the Alpha Galactica and then the 10 episode webisodes didn't really jack me up but this conversation we just had I'm jacked up now I'm ready all right thanks for bringing the love back <laughs> well thank you Brian it was a lot of fun I really appreciate uh being in on the call and looking forward to listening to the rest of your rest of the show yeah while uh, we're watching the second half of the season well thank you guys for joining us we will try to get some more town halls together as the season goes on and get you know feedback as we watch the episodes. Okay, well, thanks again for everyone for joining us. We want everyone to visit our website. It's galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. And our voicemail is 301-358-5175. So when the new season starts, please leave us a message with all your thoughts and questions. So the jump clock is running. Dimitri, hit it. So say we all. Bye-bye. Ciao. Did you have any uh, particular topics you wanted to bring up? I have, a, obviously, a, a list of stuff we could go over, but uh, is there anything you wanted to touch on before we... The only thing I want to say out loud is you have to stop watching Heroes. <laughs> uh, Podcast 56 was a waste of my time. <laughs>
I can't believe I listened to 30 minutes of it. <laughs> uh, 